Initiative Podcast, issue number 81, volume number two. This is DM Vince on take number five of this show. <laughs> As uh, technical difficulties have brought us down, and I'm recording the show. Who I am in charge today. <laughs> no! <laughs> I am DM Vincent alongside a DM failure of audio equipment, Matt. Yes. Uh, and everyone, whenever you update your uh, audio drivers, Test your Skype recording software before trying to record a podcast. <laughs> One to grow on. And sitting next to my evil cohort, DM Nick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and my not-so-evil cohort. <laughs> the heck was that? My not-so-evil cohort, DM Will. Hey there, what's going on? Not much, Bismarck. So, uh, uh, what's up? So, how's your uh, your? Pro- I'm dying to know how's that project going with the uh, the tiles. Well, uh, the whole thing on this is is that uh, I'm going to continue to make tiles, the floor tiles, and the floor tiles. The I'm sorry, the floor tiles and the wall <laughs> tiles. I'm going to continue to make those and make those as long as I have this beautiful weather. And I'm going to start painting tomorrow. And uh, from there on, we'll see how it all turns out. At the end of the week, I'll be taking some pictures then. I know you put up a lot of pictures on osrgaming.org in the yeah. forums where everybody should go for the various entertainment that we provide. <laughs> now, <laughs> one we thing are entertaining. Yeah, there's a, the one thing is, though, I, I haven't done my videos yet, and someone wants me to do videos on how I do this stuff mm-hmm. because they said like I would make a good Bob Ross. If no one knows who Bob Ross is, look at him oh, up on boy. Wikipedia and find out who he's all about. You got a big, he, big afro, too, and everything? Yeah, yeah, the big afro guy, yeah, yeah. the painter. And, uh, but me, you know, I'm a smart ass, so I'm going to be a smart alecky kind of Bob Ross kind of uh, imitation. So I think you all will find some joy out of that. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, oh, boy. What a picture you paint. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I don't paint no pictures. I'm going to tell people, like, when I do a towel, okay, this is the towel right here. Yes, it looks like this, but guess what? It's going to change here real soon. Now, if you don't like the way it looks, it doesn't matter what people say about it. It's still a floor tile. Who cares if it's painted red, blue, green, or yellow? Nah, I just keep on I can be a smart butt about it, but we'll see how it all turns out. All right. Cool. So uh, last week's show, uh, when we talked about converting D20 into first edition, I hope everybody enjoyed that. Like I was saying in the last four takes, uh, that didn't get recorded. It's probably the one of the one of the most requested things we've had since day one, right, Matt? Yeah, uh, it's just something when people there was so much D twenty stuff that was released in the two thousands that people have all this stuff and they want to know how to use it in their old games. So we finally went between me and Will actually in events. We actually had yeah. people on the show that had lots of experience yeah. in the three O world, whereas when it was you, Nick and Jason, it was mostly you with the experience, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was and, and Jason was just like, uh, I don't deal with that, so I don't know. <laughs> that was his answer when I brought that up to him. So he tried, but he didn't like it, so whatever. Anyway, uh so yeah. Cool. I hope everybody enjoyed it and I hope everybody continues to download and spread the word. RFI uh staff 
gmail.com is our email, rfipodcast.com. Go to facebook.com slash rfipodcast. Or you can go to osrgaming.org and slash forums, and you can go chat with all the folk there, especially Will. Always me. Always Will. All the time. <laughs> so let's head into some sage advice. Master, Master, they're at the gates again. Master, it looks like another band of adventurers. Adventurers again? Always the same. Coming to me for sage advice. No singing today, huh? Whoa. No, no singing today. Gonna be a cooler podcast, my friend. Boom. No, anyway, <laughs> got a bunch of emails here. <laughs> uh, first one actually comes in from Tim, and you'd probably appreciate this one, Will. I serve Enchanter. N- no, not Tim the Enchanter. <laughs> they just called me Tim. <laughs> I served as a sniper for several years in the army, and your discussion of all the different factors in combat reminded me of all the different. Calculations in taking a shot, the IE elevation, the wind, lucid charts, and humidity and range. So he just wanted to let you know thanks for that. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Well, thank you very much. Who was that from? Uh, Tim. Tim the Enchanter, who was a sniper. Yes. Well, I appreciate yes. that. Hey, I have huge respect for snipers. I met a couple in my time when I was in the National Guard. When I was in Iraq, and boy. <laughs> That's hard yeah. to do. <laughs> it is, you know. Actually, it's, you know, I, I talked to a lot of people because that, you know, I was a parasilencing instructor down there, screaming, yelling, and hollering all the recruits and everything. But you know, marksmanship, basic marksmanship, is so easy. It's just the fundamentals. And you know, when people say, "Well, I pull the trigger," you never pull a trigger. You always squeeze a trigger, yeah, exactly. and, that, and that makes a big difference on how a weapon will work. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Now, when it comes to spotting, spotting and sniping, isn't it an equal job to spot or have through a sniper or two different type of things? Um, it's, well, see, I, I, go, go ahead, go ahead. Well, from what I understood, they, they one guy, it's usually as a team. You have one guy who's a spotter and one guy who's the actual shooter, who's, who actually uh, is shooting at the target, wherever it may be. Now, they're both trained as snipers. It's just... They'll alternate between whoever's doing the shooting and whoever snipes. At least that's how I know it is in the Army. Right. Well, I can tell you that uh, in Vietnam, I know some snipers, and I can't think of the guy's name for the life of me, and I I kicked myself in the butt, but this guy was by himself, and he did everything on his own. I know that he assassinated, or whatever. He's an enemy. He's a target. He went out by himself, and, you know, it, it took him many days just to, you know, crawl 10 feet or yeah. 20 mm-hmm. feet. So, I mean, and some of them do it by themselves. And that's some crazy stuff. I give it to those yeah. guys. They have a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Thanks, Tim, the enchanter, who's a sniper. Awesome. <laughs> Maybe that's scary now. Don't, 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 don't kill his character in D&D. No, no, right? <laughs> this next Snipe one. you with a magic missile. Yes. <laughs> this next Aren't one. You... I'm sorry? No, I would say one shot, one kill. <laughs> yeah. Pop, pop. This next one comes from Jeffrey. Gentlemen, I'm looking around the room. Where? Yeah. You know, that? Three Stooges <laughs> think, where? <laughs> I have been truly enjoying your podcast. As a new DM and new to Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, I'm enjoying the freedom that is 
that it offers compared to the newest edition. Thank you. What I do miss are what I do miss are what I consider some really basic informa- information stats, such as how far can a person not trained in jump jump, or what are some basic rules for sneaking around if you're not a thief? Because a human fighter trying to learn to sneak around and dual class into a thief has to learn some time. Do you just make it up on the fly, or do you have some stacks of stats or books or references you're playing? I am new and only have a couple of basic books, so some advice would be appreciated. Yeah. Anyone have any advice from the sofa? We'll stop right um, there. Yeah, actually, I do. Uh, what you could do is, and I, th- I think we've talked about this before, is with first edition AD and D, and I think this goes with all the other editions prior to third, is just use your best judgment as a DM and try to be consistent with that judgment from then on. For for example, when you're talking about these, uh, you know, like a fighter who wants to sneak around. Well, one thing I would do, just to use an example, is uh, I would have that person make, like, maybe a dex check with a certain modifier. You know, make a d20 roll on that. So that's one thing that you could do. Another thing, maybe you could borrow from another system. Use something else. Uh, another system that I was you know you could consider using would be like from a brp basic role playing which is by chaosium and they base some of their stuff is off of a percentile system based off of like one of your core stats so let's you know the same example like maybe your your uh your thief wants to not your thief but your fighter he wants to sneak around a little bit so maybe his dex is only 12 maybe uh you know, you'll maybe do his dex times five and, or or dex times three, and that's his percentile roll, something like that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, there's a couple can of e- ways you could approach it. Yeah, you could even look at what is the six chance of success for, like, a first-level thief to do this. Mm-hmm. A fighter of any level really probably shouldn't be able to sneak around better than a first-level thief. Right. Right. So, so then you could be like, well, if a thirst level thief can succeed on this check on a fifty percent chance, I'm going to make it lower than that and just figure out how difficult you think it should be. So first level thief succeeds on a fifty, maybe this fighter will succeed on a thirty five percent. Yeah, you could, there you go. And there's That's no, another app. There's option. no wrong answer anyway. Right. There's no wrong answer. And the big thing is, like I said, consistency. Once you make that particular ruling, and you know, I think someone said well, it's rulings, not rules. That's one of the cornerstones of, of this game. Mm. As long as you're consistent on that ruling from that, from that then day forward, you shouldn't have a problem. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah see, that's the key thing right there. And all of you had said it uh, straight on the market, everything. My thing is like this. The DM needs to stop saying no and start saying yes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the way I say this is from when someone says, well, my fighter wants to sneak around and do this. And someone and the DM says, well, the fighter can't sneak around. Uh, why not? Well, because that's not in the book. And that's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's the same thing applies if I have a non-thief character saying, well, I want to check the door for traps. Now, I mean, yes, the chance of them actually finding a trap will be low, but that doesn't mean they can't find one. Right. Of course, they'll probably set it off. That's how they're going to find it because they set it off in the process. So, <laughs> well, and there are so, certain things though that you might have to say no to. I mean, there's there's like like a fire person playing a fire say, "Well, I want to cast magic missile." 
well, you can't. You don't have the spell <laughs> memorized, and you don't oh, have yeah, it written down. You have a, there yeah. are certain things where, obviously, you're going to have to say no. But when it comes yeah. to skills and actions, that's what I'm referring to. Right. General purpose skills. And, yeah, you know, you know, a thief is trained to sneak and, all, and hide in shadows and all that. But that doesn't mean that a, a character, uh, other characters cannot hide in shadows. They may, they may think that they're successful, and that's how I like to play it off. Right. But I roll and they fail. Well, the bad guy sees them, but they say, you know what? He's trying to hide from me. I'm going to yeah. play my favorite. So I like turning it around. So, yeah, you know, and, and the thing on jumping, well, I mean, it's common sense. If it's a 50-foot pit, I'm certain that someone's not going to jump 50 feet. No. Obviously. I mean, that's common sense. Now, if it's 10 feet, maybe 15 feet, you have to take things into consideration. Well, if you're a naked fighter, you could probably jump 15 feet and catch that, that thing over there with a the dexterity check and hold on to it. But if you're fully in full-plate metal armor with a shield and 100 pounds in your pack and everything, well, you're Ooh. jumping five inches. You're gonna, yeah. You're gonna <laughs> drop like a rock. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all about just like you say, just common sense judgment, and just remember regular general skills. Ah, just you know, make a judgment call. Yep, and be consistent on that call afterwards. That's right. Cool. And he also says, also please keep in mind, I'm a novice. As the last time I played was back in college in the late eighties. Uh, do you apply martial art techniques to a monk, or is that just for fighter specialization? If he's talking about the the Oriental adventures, you yeah, you obviously apply martial art techniques to the monk, but yeah. the regular monk? I didn't know there was any martial art techniques for the regular monk. I don't think I. Well, if I remember if I remember correctly, the original monk, as written, I'll, all that was already taken into consideration of the creation of the class. He was a Western monk, like, you know, well, the winemaking guys, not the, you know, sit in the temple and, you know, do karate all day. And See, I never even took it that way. I, I always took yeah. it as a Western monk as opposed to... I never monk. even took it as a Western monk. I really? always took it more as the martial arts style monk, and it was written, originally written as all the, all the stuff that was in... The class itself was already that was already taken into consideration. Now, when you had like you're talking about Oriental adventures, a lot more of that was incorporated into the monk class. Well, see, now I'm gonna tell you why I agree with events to a certain degree, and that's because they said specifically in the players' handbooks that they are a monastic aesthetics. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're more like a friar than. That, yes. Now they do have some abilities that would emulate. You know, things from the Oriental events, like, you know, they can avoid, you know, arrows and bullets and, I mean, stone bullets, not real bullets now. Huh. Uh, and, you know, but my thing was like the quivering palm. That, to me, is a more Oriental adventure type of feel because, you know, you touch that nerve and they blow up or whatever they do, they bleed out of their, you know, out of their ears and all that stuff. So, I mean, it all depends. But I think they were, more, like I said, they're a more monastic kind of type of aesthetic. Right, but he, he, reading in the player's handbook, in that, Uh-oh. you got it, I got it right here. It says, monks <laughs> are monastic aesthetics who practice rigorous mental and physical training and discipline in order to become superior. Now, I'm sorry, I'm going to pull that if you're going to, we're if we're going to use like real world analogies mm-hmm. to this. The the AD and D monk is nothing like a Franciscan friar. <laughs> I know this for a fact. 
I'm sorry. I'm say but, he was a Franciscan friar. No. But uh, what I'm saying is there is no real relation to what you would consider a monk from Western society. Oh, that's okay. But let me ask you this, though. Do they have monasteries in, in Oriental Adventures? Yes. Yeah. Is that what they're called, monasteries, or they call them something else? I think they actually call them temple. Yeah, well, see, that's the, when they use the words. And now we're going on that's semantics. Just semantics. Right? Yeah. That's just semantics. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but a monastery is a monastery to me. When they say monastery, I'm that's... thinking of the Western world. And if they say well, temple, then we know we're talking about Oriental Ventures. <laughs> well, it's it's just a matter of semantics then. I've really. always considered the monk in Player's Handbook to be a Western monk, like the Friar Tuck, like Matt originally said, with the brown robes and make the wine and... Go I never saw that at all. Giving never. advice, but always have these really cool abilities that they can do. That's all. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just cannot picture like Friar Tuck doing the quivering palm technique. It just <laughs> he would, maybe he you would enough level though. <laughs> maybe because you were like Robin saying, Hood. It, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. You never I've always understand. taken it as like more of like the <laughs> the, the 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 Keith Carradine, you know, like from the Kung Fu series. Being David Carradine. That's a stereotypical. One of the damn Carradines, yes. <laughs> that's stereotyping now. That's a stereotypical monk. Kung Fu no, legend continues. Well, that's that's how I pictured them in the first edition AD&D. Uh, no, the legend uh, continues players. monk from the TV show I always considered the Oriental monk. <laughs> <sighs> Semantics. There's- it's semantics. I, I couldn't even see Friar Tuck jumping out of bullets. And, and, Didn't and, we have a show about monks? We already got this all cleared up. I yeah. don't know. We already proved that you were wrong. We were right. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is too hilarious. I love it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, okay. Sorry, well. but Friar Tuck is not going to be doing things like quivering Paul right, and right, speak right. with animals and... Well, once he gets to the 20th level, he can. Maybe because Fire Truck was too busy checking the wine, okay? Uh-huh. Okay. All right. And thanks, thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks for the, the, the massive debate you had us do now. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Nick, blunt weapons, by the way. Wrong. <laughs> Next one comes from yeah. DM Rob. Uh, okay, he's asking a question about the complete spellcasters by Bard Games. It claims to be uh, system neutral. Actually, it's not. It claims to be Advanced Dungeons and Dragons First Edition. If you actually look it up, uh, it has some alternate classes in it: Witch, Warlock, Mystics, Necromancers, and Sorcerers. His question is: He likes to convert some of them for for a campaign and. For castles and crusades, I'm not sure why he's asking us because we're not really going to do castles and crusades, but there's only seven levels of spells, and castles and crusades have nine levels of spells. If that's all the design the class is for, for seven levels, and that's all you're going to really have, I think, right? So I'm looking at it. talking clerics, they only have seven. Uh, the complete spellcaster run here by uh, Bard Games from 1983 yeah, is for various role-playing games, but it obviously is directed at Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. There's also another one made in 86. Okay. And that one is pretty much just a reprint of the same thing, just with some updated uh, unfamiliar summon creatures, hierarchy of demons, ruins, symbols, circle protections, strange artifacts, major arcana, and more. It was the only thing that was the, in addition to what we originally had. Hmm. So I'm, I don't really I'm know... I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, I don't remember seeing this book at all. Obviously, 
And I don't know anything about Castles and Crusades. I apologize. Anyone else know anything about Castles and Crusades? I know. I have have a couple of the rule books, and it's really not much different than third edition uh, D&D. I mean, it's really just stripped down version of it. So I know the bookstore has like 12 copies of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, from what I understand, it's like third edition with like some first edition sensibilities. Yeah. Pretty much. So, it's pretty good uh, es- yeah. estimate. Oh, uh, he also says, is this normal for third party supplements? What should I do if I, a player gets one of these classes to the high levels and expects eighth or ninth level spells? Just tell them they don't exist? Yeah, they just don't exist, pretty much. Because I bet if you look at the spell advancement for those classes, there is no... It doesn't reference 8th or ninth level spells. No. So if they go into that class, they just... That's one of the trade-offs. You can have this cool specialty class, but you lose access to 8th and ninth level spells. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately... That's a good rule. That's a very good rule and everything. Yeah. And, yeah... Unfortunately, I don't have this book. I don't have access to this book, so I can't really comment. Yeah, I'm not on it. familiar with that one. It was originally printed in '83. It says this edition '83. Yeah. Hmm. Released 1983 by. Uh, it was by Bard Games. Huh? I don't. I'm not familiar with Bard Games at even at all. Yeah. You know, I do recall they might have had one book. They had one called The Complete Alchemist. Yeah, they have that. By, I remember that one. I but see that I, on the list here. I didn't know that. Well, I guess the other book's like a compilation of all those, Maybe. of all the different classes oh, of magic that they created. I'm looking at the Bard's Games history, and Talislandia comes up big time. I remember Talislandia. So maybe they're they produced Talislandia. They're not. Oh, okay. The world without elves. Basically, AD and D without elves. Basically, yeah, I do recall that. I just didn't remember they made a supplement like that where they had like a whole bunch of alternate different magic user classes like yeah. Necromancer and Warlock. And the Complete so. Adventurer is another one from 83 and 86. Hmm. Buccaneer, Bounty Hunter, Gladiator, Harlequin, Knight, Martial Artist, Rogues, Scout, Spy, Swordsman, Warrior, and Witch Hunter. I don't this remember. This is actually an interesting bit of uh, gaming history, which actually... Uh, which, Come to think of it, means that the origin of the Splat book goes further back into the gaming world. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't occur with uh, third edition. It actually happened with first, 1983. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I remember seeing Rollades and Judges Guild and things, but I've never seen, I've never seen, I've never seen Bard games before. Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. a couple of things like you were talking about, like Talislandia and some other things. But I, I, I just never saw them in the store, I don't think. Yeah. Well, whatever. Sorry about that. We can't really help you out on that one, but I just yeah. wanted to see. I'll throw it out there in case someone listening knows more about it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let us know. In. It'd be more interesting. Maybe uh, try to do some research, more research on our own too. Because I was doing this before the show. I was looking this up, and I'm like, I don't remember this at all. Yeah. Anyway, last Oops, email scared. comes in from DJ Sir Mix a lot, <laughs> and he says, "Yo, yo, busy. <laughs> Let's do a demo together. <laughs> Seriously," he says. Now, I noticed you guys stopped reading reviews. What happened? That's all he says. Oh, Anybody want to take that yeah. one? Uh, all I can say is thank you, but I'm not in the market to do any kind of uh, <laughs> studio work. But uh, now let's go to the second portion. But I appreciate the support, though. <laughs> it's Bismarcky and Sir Mix a Lot back together again. <laughs> I don't oh know. man, that's old school now. 
Okay. Well, you know what? I've actually was thinking about that today about the reviews thing. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try uh, to make some time and start doing uh, reviews again. So, well, uh, I'm sorry. I mean Blackstone. I'm gonna talk to Blackstone, see about him doing reviews of like old modules. I'll talk to him. I think sure. he meant something else. He's not talking about those kind of reviews. Oh. You guys like, stop reading reviews. I thought he meant on... Uh, is he talking about iTunes? Yeah. Oh. I, we stopped reading because the whole goal was to get to 100. Once we got to 100, we were going to stop. Right. And yeah. That doesn't mean you can't send them, but we still look on there. And also, yeah. it was taking a while to, to read the reviews. So Yeah. Yeah, we still read all the reviews, and we appreciate all the feedback we get, positive and negative. So... Please continue posting them. Uh, just because we may not read it on the show doesn't mean we didn't read it personally. Oh, no, I check every day, so, you know. Just to make sure, you know, keep Will in line, so. <laughs> oh, here we go. With that, uh, rfistaff at gmail.com, or you can uh, 570-865-4210, the hotline. Hotline. <laughs> Let's head into Tail Matters. Yeah. I remember back in the day, a fella knew how to judge a fireball on the fly and how far the cleric could push the undead he turned. I tell ya, with all these min-maxers and munchkins, metagame and power game, there's something missing that I'm here to learn ya. Now sit down and crack your book while I commence to teach ya some. Table manners. Okay, on today's Table Manners, we are going to talk about Cavaliers. And uh, when we talk about Cavaliers, we might also touch on the subject of Knights. And uh, we can find this in two, uh, two locations. Let's start with the Unearthed Arcana first. Okay. Uh, for those that do not know, the Cavalier was uh, one of the core classes in the Unearthed Arcana, which is an actual core rule book. It's, it's part of the line there and everything. And then we talk about Knights, which comes from the Dragonlance book. What's that title of the book again? It's Dragonlance Adventures, I believe, right? Dragonlance yeah, Adventures, you got it. Yeah, Dragonlance Adventures and everything. So this is this is, is pretty much going to cover, you know, people that want to play Cavaliers or if they want to play the typical Knight. I guess you can call them Knights. I mean, they have titles of them that when you reach a certain level, then they're called Knights. But whatever the case may be, let's talk about the Cavalier a little bit. I am a huge fan of the Cavalier. Mm. I like the refreshing role that they brought into the game because it was like people wanted to play fighters. I mean, gamers wanted to play fighters. But then it came down to specific. I want a different type of fighter. I want a barbarian. Or I want a knight. Or I want this and that. And then good thing that Unearthed Arcana came out and everything, because now we have Cavaliers. Yeah, and yeah, I love Cavaliers. So at any time, y'all are welcome to interject if you like this. Oh, we will. Okay, good. I knew you would. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, the Cavaliers, as we all know, are not, there is some errata out there and everything. I'm not going to go through the whole thing with, with the Cavalier and all the errata that came down with and everything. They do not have 12-sided uh, die for hit points. It's a typical D10. To play Cavalier, you have to have some really decent stats and everything, and I believe most of them had to be at minimum 15 at the most. So, But besides that, my only issue with the Cavalier was the emphasis on the Lance. Because when you think about it, I mean, a Cavalier at his best is on top of a horse, mounted on a horse, and uh, with a Lance. Right. Now, as we talk about that, 
What happens when you go into a dungeon? Well, the horse is not following you, my friends. It's just not going to follow you. And no. I, no, it's, it's definitely, well, unless it's a huge dungeon. Now, like, you know, like against the giants where some of that stuff is really big and everything. Yeah, you could probably take a horse in there, but I just don't think horses would do very well in enclosed spaces. And I just can't see a cavalier charging giants or any type of monster in a dungeon. It just doesn't, doesn't fit too well. And really, I don't think a cavalier would put his mount in any type of danger to where he can't defend itself. So dungeons are a terrible place for a Cavalier's mount. So in a way, I was kind of disappointed because they put so much emphasis on a Cavalier and his lance. Now, don't get me wrong now. They can still use other weapons and fight and everything. But still, though, the UA Cavalier emphasized the horse. And, well, it didn't even just have to be a horse. If you really want to play a different type of Cavalier, they can have a different type of mount, like a, a giant boar or... What is some other lawyer? A camel or or what? Dragon. Elf? Well, that's ooh, that's a weird cat. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> talking about traditional <laughs> nice. You would, you would be a horse, so. Yeah, so you know the horse is your typical mount, but in any case, like I said, that was my only negative issue with cavaliers. Now, let's say someone said, "I don't really want to play a cavalier and have that emphasis on a horse." And now we can jump to Dragonlance and take a look at the knight. And because in Dragonlance, the knights, which are real similar to cavaliers, they do not emphasize a lance. However, if you played Dragonlance modules and everything, you wanted that lance. Yes. Well, they, they were, they, yeah, the Dragonlance. You wanted those Dragonlances in any yeah. case. Yep. So then, oh, there's so much information on cavaliers <laughs> and knights. It just goes crazy and everything. Okay, let me just say from this perspective, if you want to play a Cavalier and get away from the emphasis on a Lance and look at other types of Cavaliers, there's plenty of them. Now, I did a search and I was doing some reading. I was going through some of the Dragon magazines and everything. And there's quite a few, but the articles really don't cover that much. And uh, I, I think you got these too, Nick, if you looked them up as well, or Matt, or I don't know who looked, else looked up. Like, uh, I think one covered the Chivalrous Cavalier, which was number 72. And then you had the Elven yep. Cavalier at 114. And then you had a one that dealt with honor, which was glory, danger, and wounds, which was at number 125. And as we go on, now we're going out of first edition, but they had a centaur cavalier. They was covering the, the, uh, on monstrous uh, cavaliers, the centaur, which is in 163. But 178 covered the three faces of chivalry, and that was actually an interesting article. And then on, on number 148, you had the corrected cavalier. Which I believe covered the errata, if I'm correct. I, yeah. I didn't read too much into the articles. But again, it, those articles are missing something. It's still the same Cavalier with a huge emphasis on the Lance. So uh, other options, not just, just other options, if you're really interested in, in playing different types of Cavaliers, there's one I saw called a Standard Bearer. And, and that was very interesting because what this Cavalier does, now he doesn't lose his mount abilities and all that stuff. His emphasis, though, was carrying a Standard into combat. And what happens is all allies of that Cavalier will get bonuses to their fear checks or bonuses uh, versus, you know, saving throws on fear. And they might have a morale boost where it gives them a plus one to their AC, a plus one to their attack, because they see the standard, you know, waving in the wind while they're killing evil monsters. I think that's awesome. So when a DM has a player that says, I want to play a Cavalier, 
and they and they said, "Well, well, we're playing a sea adventure. Well, you know, Cavalier's not going to do too good out there on a boat with a horse trying to charge a giant octopus. I got to see that. That's got to be awesome. <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> what about a seahorse? <laughs> yeah, a seahorse mount. Then he becomes Aquaman. <laughs> I hate Aquaman. He's like stupid. <laughs> Well, he didn't do too good in that show, Family Guy, because he, he didn't save a lot of people. And I, I, they always make fun of Aquaman for some reason. I don't know why. But uh, so, I mean, yeah. So that, you know, make it an interesting Cavalier. People don't want to play different types of Cavalier. It's like you have different types of Paladins. And I can't remember that article. Do you all remember that article with the different types of Paladins? Yeah, it was different alignments of Paladins, right? Yeah. Yeah, see, they had different alignments and they have different orders. Now, let's get into that. Now, this is where it gets very interesting here because if you take a look in the Dragonlance Adventures, you'll see that knights have different types of orders. Like, I think one was Knights of the Rose, Knights of the Sword. There was, oh, what are those other ones? Uh, uh, Order of the Crown. Yeah, so they... Yeah. yeah, there's the, the, the three levels of night of Somalia. Right, right. See, and see, and each of them had their special place within those orders. Again, you can do that with Cavaliers, too. And I, I tell you, there are so many nice resources out there for that. And I'm going to have to pick on Pathfinder because uh, I, I, I love Cavaliers. And uh, and I, I'm certain that second edition might have a supplement. I didn't look at my second edition material. I actually look at it. Uh, the complete fighter's handbook. Yeah, I think they had different orders and, and stuff in there, too, that you could use. Yeah. But Pathfinder made the uh, Cavalier another core character class, and they have tons of orders, like Order of the Dragon or Order of the... Well, you can make some orders, uh, Order of the Octopus, I guess it's a multi-limbed Cavalier. I'm just, you know, being facetious, of course, now. <laughs> but you you can make different... Order of the Honey Badger. Yeah, well, I mean, yes, you can make different orders, and so then assign these Cavaliers, you know, maybe their special ability as being part of that order. Uh, I, I, like I said, Cavaliers are just tremendous. Let's see, you know, their, their orders have to also carry their codes, and that, that's a really huge issue with Cavaliers. And um, not just correct me if I'm wrong with it, with it deals with the Knights. I don't think it has too much of an emphasis on that either, does it? As no, much it's- as Cavalier? It's more so the Cavalier. Yeah. Because the, the Cavalier always reminded me like a combination fighter paladin on horseback. It's like has aspects of both. Well, yeah, but they don't have a lot of the special abilities of a paladin. They're more right. I it, it, I always looked at the Cavalier. And by the way, when you mentioned that Dragon Mag- magazine Dragon Magazine issue. That was my very little side note. My very first issue of Dragon Magazine I got for my subscription, that issue number 72. <laughs> oh, was special. it? Yes, it has, it has a, a whole little special place in my heart. But yeah, I, I always thought the Cavalier being the analogy of the knight, I mean, it's the same thing. It's the knight for AD&D. Right. And I, uh, I always thought that it would be interesting, like, like what they were, you were talking about, is having different nightly uh orders Orders? depending on the the alignment of of the order and or what they follow i mean they i mean it was before that issue and i think it was in 1983 where they had the anti-paladin which was oh that was volume one of uh, the best of right yeah and that's uh, volume one of best of dragon magazine too Mm -hmm. so why not have like different alignments 
of holy orders of cavaliers slash knights. I mean, it's such a great idea. But I, also with the cavalier, I always thought, because I'm dealing with this in a current campaign, you know, when you're talking about their specialization, basically, with the lance. Right. That's a very cool ability, <laughs> especially when they're not on horseback, too, because I know in the rules, like, uh, if they are proficient with the heavy lance, they are heavy lance used while dismount is treated as an all pike. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, with respect to all specifications except length, width, and speed factors. So, basically, it gets the damage of an all pike. Or if they're yeah. using a medium or light lance... They can it can treat it as a spear. So that means what uh, I remember in our our uh, current campaign when they went to the uh, Isle of Dread and the Cavalier had his lance and he was taking it through the dungeon. He had a medium lance well. taking it through the dungeon because <laughs> guess what? He could set that spear, have it ready for a charge against something. Well, that's and, the best module to do that because with those dinosaurs, yeah. what do dinosaurs do? They charge. And that's what happened. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> when the Triceratops did charge him, even though he had a bonus to hit, he still yeah. missed. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what that and, and, and proceeded to grind him into the dust. <laughs> well, then, you know what the lance is good for now? It's a, it's a toothpick. So Basically. that's awesome. I think that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. But you know, when I was talking about different types of classes for cavaliers, and I, you know, I brought one up as a uh, uh, well, the I was standard bear. The standard bear, which is good. You have some other ones out there, like, and I get these from Pathfinder because I'm studying this real closely. The honor guard. Mm-hmm. Which basically is a knight that he's an honor guard, and, and and they now they get special abilities for being an honor guard, but they lose other abilities of the cavalier because of course they ain't going to be on a, ho- a horse that much. Right. Then you have one like a beast rider, and I thought about this is a weird kind of you know cavalier, a beast rider. Basically, it's just a cavalier, maybe from a different type of order where they don't use horses; they use other types of animals. Mm-hmm. So, again, uh, there's so many things. There's another Cavalier class called an Emissary, which is very interesting now. Because now you have a Cavalier that's probably more prone to being a communicator. Even though he still fights a lot, he's still on a horse. So, along that sense and everything, yeah, it's very important, you know, to really look at it and and try and make the Cavalier a very versatile type of character instead of by the book. And now that you did bring up the Paladin, just to let you know, the Paladin is no longer a subclass of fighter, he's actually a subclass of the Cavalier now if you use the UA. Yeah, I never, you know, that was one thing, I never really liked that idea. And so now what you do is you have a paladin who gets all those special powers, but now are subjected to that code they live by. And I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you about a Cavalier, that, that was one thing I thought was kind of weird for a Cavalier. If they see the evil boss, they're charging for the boss, yeah. you know, ignoring everything else. Yeah, because they want to challenge the bad guy. So I'm looking at this. I see the paladin and the cavalier having a fist fight, or who's going to kill the big bad guy? Yeah, <laughs> it's mine. No, it's mine. Pow! Oh, you want to hit me? I'm going to go kill him. Pow! You know that's happening in my group because we have one person playing a paladin, and another one a cavalier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. 
Yeah, but so, yeah, so the, the important thing with the Cavalier and Paladin, though, is that code of conduct. And again, when you take a look at Knights of Salamnia and everything, it doesn't really, you know, have much emphasis on those issues. They're just part of certain orders. I don't see nothing on, you know, like their, their code of conduct. I mean, they, they got to take, you know, an oath and all that stuff and, and you know, the, the, the thing of loyalty, uh, you know, all that good stuff. But there's there's nothing really as stringent as it is in the UA, which, and, and honestly, I like the UA more so than I do the Dragonlance as far as that concerned. And again, Cavaliers are still knights, though, because I believe at level 10 or 9, they become a knight. Oh, I'm sorry, I take that back. At level 6, their level title is as a yes, knight. knight, yep. Yeah, but now with the orders of the, the Salamnic Knights and everything, and it's kind of funny because they can't actually be a knight until they reach a certain level. And then, you know, I guess a second or third level, if I've if I read correctly, it's been a while since I looked at Dragonlance. I believe at second level, that's when they actually become a true knight or whatever the case may be. Yeah, as a squire, defender of the crown. So it all depends on what kind of knight they are. True. Yeah, yeah, but so I did notice one thing interesting. They said knights of the crown are variants of cavaliers that are described in the Arthur Canon, which is very interesting. But they said it's very there's, there's some important differences too as well. So that's pretty good and everything. Oh, I read by the book. Oh my lord, I didn't cause some trouble tonight. Oh no. <laughs> no, don't do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Nah, it's all good and everything. But you all will notice also that when you take into the Knights of Salamnia, this is pretty interesting too as well, there can only be so many of that level title. When they get to high level. Yeah, it's like, yeah, so like a druid so and everything. It's very interesting. I like I liked the Knights of Salamnia a little bit better than the uh, UA Cavalier. I never like their name because it sounds so close to Salami. Well, you don't usually use that really. You use the Knight of the Circle, Knight of the Crown. Knight of Salami. Knight of Salami and Cheese. Well, I, I would keep. I would end up calling them Knights of Somalia, and they'd be like East African Knights. And, <laughs> True, yeah. And you know what? That's nothing wrong with that. I think that's awesome if, if, because the Knights of different orders come from different regions of the world, and that's that's exceptional. I have no problems with Knights of. So Somalia. an Italian knight would be a Knight of Salami <laughs> of Genoa. Pizza. Uh, an Italian knight would be a, a Knight of, of Genoa. Mm. <laughs> Genoa. Genoa. It's Genoa, ain't it? Genoa. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, maybe I'm messing up. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> but no, whatever the case may be and everything, like I said, knights, if you want to play knights, you can look at the knights of Salamnia and pull it from that and, 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 and the number of orders they have. Or you can make up your own and everything. Like I said, my other recommendation is go to the Pathfinder SRD, which is free online, and then you'll see that whole thing that's covered on Cavaliers, and you start looking at all the orders they fall in, all the special abilities that they get with being in that order, and how they're supposed to react as, you know, as a player character. And all this stuff, you know, is... is you know, it's kind of transparent and everything. You, you can use it, be versatile, you know, diversify a little bit, you know? I, I was trying to find for, there was a, I thought there was a Dragon Magazine article that came not too long after when the Cavalier was uh, put out that someone did an article about different uh, mounts for the Cavalier besides a horse, you know, like a unicorn, hippogriff, griffin. Right, I couldn't find one. it. Did you find anything about that at all, wow. Will? 
I saw an article on it concerning mounts, but I thought that could, that could be used by any player character. Okay. That back up again. But yeah, I see what you're saying. And that makes this even perfect for a beast. I don't know why they, a beast writer, not a beast master, because that's more like a barbarian kind of thing. Yeah, but Mark the, Singer. Yeah, beast <laughs> yeah Portal Through Time. Yeah. No, that one didn't exist. That one stunk. Which one? The, <laughs> the second one? The Portal for Time, yeah. Oh, that God. was horrible when the car came through. That was ridiculous. That was horrible. The first one was awesome. I like that. Yes, it was. But the Beast Rider, I think that's awesome. I think that's a great Cavalier kind of style kind of thing from a different nation. You know, yeah. We'll have to look that up sometime on different I always days. thought the idea of like somehow a Cavalier, you know, getting as like a griffin or a hippogriff mount would be totally cool. <laughs> I think that's awesome. That is what the fantasy game is all about, and everything. You know, the outlandish and the crazy. Um, if I if I could, if I had a choice, I'd take a a cavalier on an ostrich. Those yeah. bad boys can run. Yeah, and then and they can yeah. fly around. And when you bonk people on the heads, they turn into eggs, and then you can grab <laughs> the eggs and get points for them. Yeah, like and the game joust that you stole that from. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and there was a, a dragon on flying mounts. It was uh, issue fifty, page forty-eight. They got there's an article on flying mounts. Oh my god, that would be so great! You get you get an ostrich mount, and you cast like fly on the ostrich mount. <laughs> that would be so awesome. I, I would have to have my yeah, I would have to have my Cavaliers armor painted like green or something like that, like the original joust game. I would end up having the mount, the ostrich mount, make morale checks, and when it fails, it sticks its head in the sand. There you go. (laughs) It has to make that really bad thumping noise when you played that game with. (laughs) See, I I had a good idea with an ostrich, and look what y'all did to me. You just, you just. I'm sorry. I just thought of the game Joust, which was so cool back in the day. I love that game, and now you're giving me idea Cavalier with the ostrich mount with the fly spell permanently cast on it. Just don't fly over the lava pit where the hand comes down and try and pulls the ostrich yeah, along. Yeah, that's right. You got to flap real hard. <laughs> well, with all that said, I think I'm done talking about Cavaliers and ostriches. <laughs> but no, but both these books can be used hand in hand to come up with a different type of arch- archetype type of character for a Cavalier if the mm-hmm. DM will allow that. And I, I see no reason why not as long as you maintain within, you know, you know, nothing overpowering. I think it would make a, a really fun character to play. Now, I do have kind of like one question or like an, uh, something to pose to everybody is I remember when the, the, the class, like I said, came out in Dragon Magazine. Then a couple years later, it was put in Unearth Arcana. Now, I've, I've seen on various message boards how that when everybody talks about Unearth Arcana, the, generally the first thing that the person brings about their anti Unearth Arcana is like the Cavalier class is broken. It's broken. It's too overpowerful. It's just any comments or see. I don't think it is. I don't think it's any. I don't think the Cavalier class is any more powerful than a Paladin or a Ranger. If you were want to talk about like subclass, I think they, I really they were saying it was broken because of the hit points, maybe. Oh, and they fixed that up because it was the the hit point issue with the twelve hit dice. Yeah, that was that was a typo. It was only ten, and I think it's the barbarian as the twelve sided hit dice. That is correct. So, yeah, that's correct. It's not the cavalier. It's only Get to the chopper. No, well, that's a different. That's a that's a different show. It's not a tuma. No, that's kindergarten cop. <laughs> but, yeah, no, that, but you're right, though. 
I, I don't have a problem with the Cavalier class at all. I, I think it's a cool one. Someone really, I think it's a great class for someone who oh. who gets into the game for the first time. They like they say, "Well, I want to play a knight." Well, well okay, you know, the, go. There, this is the this is the the knight in shiny armor that you get to play. And but guess what, though? Now, as you say that, there's no reason why someone can't play a straight fighter under a certain type of fight of uh, a fighter order. A straight-up fighter could be a knight, but they won't get all those special abilities. Right. There. right. Oh, yeah, I agree. Sure, if you don't qualify the, with the prerequisites for a cavalier, there's no reason why you can't make your fighter as a more noble, knightly kind of of class. Uh, yeah, of he's the loser. He's the loser knight because he didn't make it. Right, right. Actually, I'm making real good background for a, for a character. So. And, you know, it's funny that you brought up mounts just to let you know that as Cavaliers level up in ability, they get the right better mounts if they can find them, like the Griffin and the Hippo mm-hmm. Griff and the Pegasus. And Yeah, I thought there was something about that. I just couldn't find it. Maybe I was skimming through too fast. Yeah, you have to be at a, you have to be 11th level to, you know, ride a handle and ride a Griffin and 9th level to do a Hippo Griff. At 7th level, the Pegasus. And I can, Okay, cool there it the is. Pegasus. There it is. Yeah. yeah I Hidden in plain sight right there on page 15. But now look at that, though. <laughs> Only a female elven cavalier can handle and ride a unicorn as a steed. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll go for the Pegasus myself. Well, Pegasus except- would be another good mount, too. I think so, because, yeah, I, I think that's awesome. Yeah, just find it. That's all. Yeah. You do luck. a clash of the titans and everything and have to kill the, the titan or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but I think so. Go for it. Yes, Cavaliers or Knights of Salamnia, use them, mix it up and everything. Come up with a, a you know, a, a, a fresh character with a, an interesting background and just, just apply it together. I'm telling you, you're going to have a lot of fun this way. Just because you're playing a knight doesn't mean you have to be like, haha, my guy is only trained to be wonderful on horses. I mean, right. a is, knight. Is exactly. I, if you've ever watched any movies or TV shows or anything to do with knights, you see they're always training on a horse, and they're also training off a horse, as in sword fighting. Yes. So why can't your knight be the type of knight that uses his horse to travel from location to location, get off his horse, and defend that way? I have my noble steed right here. His name's Donkey. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Donkey. That that is what a fighter, a fighter who fails to make it to cavalierhood or whatever, that will be his mount, a donkey. Hey, that's excellent. Man of La Mancha. Hey, Don Quixote. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I hate to reference Knight's Tale, but, you know. Oh, that's Actually, good. I, like I love that movie. I like that. that was awesome. Okay, good, because I know a lot of people can't stand that movie, and I like that movie, but there's a good, example of, a good example of how, well, they tried to show an example of what a knight would have been like during that time. And there you go. <laughs> apply that to the game itself, and it could be a lot of fun. Just gotta gotta have an open mind and get outside of the box. Sometimes I did like the fact that the in during the sword jousting, how they uh, jousting the sword fights, how they showed how big the bulky the armors were. Mm-hmm. Oh, isn't that crazy? Yeah. And you know what? Even if we're talking about player characters and their mounts, don't forget you can have vampires as, as cavaliers. And then have them write nightmares into combat. So that would be that's, so cool. I'm t- I'm as a big you. bad dude. There you go. An evil cavalier knight who has like a nightmare as his steed. <laughs> <laughs> and un- you mean like Lord South or something? 
Yeah. yeah. That's perfect right there. I mean, you can this and twist it around, you know, a plus for the characters, and uh, then it could be a minus for the doggone, you know, for the good guys when they use, you know, like vampires. And, and when he hits with a lance, it still drains two levels. Oh, <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm just being a little creative here. But I'm saying all this stuff you can apply, you know, to both players and as NPCs. Use it. Your imagination is the limit. Word. <laughs> I can get behind that. So uh, let's go. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, write in rfistaff at gmail.com and let's head into our next seven segment before Matt falls over in his chair. Oh, man. What the heck is that? Understand, you fool. I have a spell that will work here. What do you mean I can't hit with that? Oh, right, fine. Show it to me in the book. Welcome to Game Mechanics. Okay, let's jump into the mechanics of the game called Game Mechanics. Uh, This week we're going to talk a little bit about 3D6 save checks versus D20 save checks. I don't know if you guys use the 3D6 save check method at all. I've used it quite a bit in my games. I know a lot of people have asked more about it, and they've heard other people use it. Uh, I'm just going to ask you guys real quick. Did you guys use the 3D6 method at all, Will? Do you use that method? I did, and that was a long time ago. You're talking uh, 34, 35 years ago. You just went basically to the standard hall where they just do it now with the book. Okay. Well, I wasn't. I didn't do it by choice. I was a player back then, so I can't remember. It's been so long ago when that happened, everything. Okay, and what about you, Nick? Yeah, you know, I think I've always used a standard D20 method. I didn't know that there was a 3D6 save method until you brought it up. Yeah, it was It was kind of like an, an unofficial thing that I guess Gary designed to make. For the, I, I don't understand the bell curve, and Matt knows a little bit more more how that works. Yeah, and Jason would have known that, like, you know, like, use Einstein, but... They basically, what's going to happen is uh, on the 3D6, uh, your average is 10. You're going to roll 10... One of those middle numbers more than any other number combination. Where was it like D20, nine through twelve or something like that, or ten through? 12? Yeah, it was like it, it's that. It ends up being a bell curve shape. It's but, in the DMG that bell curve, right? And with that, yeah, ba- basically, you're more often than not you're going to roll nine, ten, eleven. Those are the numbers that are going to come up more frequently. So interesting. Are you serious on that? Yeah. yeah if you sure. look page 10 on the DMG, yeah. there's a 3D6 bell curve, and it shows the most common oh, uh, the averages. You're right. 9 through 12 are the numbers that you're going to most likely get. I apologize because yeah. when I was I was thinking two D six and I was thinking of Settlers of Catan for some reason. I'm, I apologize. <laughs> Settlers of Catan. <laughs> no, no. If you play Settlers of Catan, when you put out your little number tokens on on the yeah. little land pieces, yeah. you'll see that the number of dots underneath that number. What's that telling you is that is the likelihood, the frequency that that number will come up on two D six. That is real. We're doing three D six. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Because in a one D six, it's a one in thirty six. Of any right. possible dice combination, three uh, d six. It is six, six times thirty six, whatever that is. It, like one in two fifty six. Two fifty six. Something like that. But anyway, 
But what happens is in the 3D6 method, you're less likely to roll that 18, 17 than you would be on a D20. Since a D20 is, it's linear. You have the same chance of rolling any number. So if you need to roll really high, you have a better chance to roll really high on a D20. If you you want to avoid rolling really low, you want to use the 3D6. 3D6, yep. So now the method the method I'm referring to is, I don't know where I picked it up but I I, I know Gary Gygax has used it in, in a bunch of his games uh, from reading online and uh, from the great DM Joe who showed me this method as well like, oh yeah oh, great DM Joe yeah it, it was basically <laughs> to give a DM a little bit more control and show players there's a little more danger behind the situation and not let them know at the same time what they're saving versus. So if I say to you, Nick, save versus spell, you're like, oh, okay, you're going through your mind, all these different spell combination things that can happen to you. Mm-hmm. Now, if I say to you, Nick, roll 4d6 versus your intelligence and roll below it, you're thinking to yourself, what the heck's going on? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> it's another way for a DM to disguise you know, uh, saving throws. And the more dice you throw to it, the more complex or harder it is for a player to save. Well, this brings up a question, though, since we're bringing up this thing on the bell curve and everything and the number of dice on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we talked about this before, Vince. Remember when we when we did Call of Cthulhu back in the day? Yeah. You know, we didn't use two 10-siders. We used two 20-siders. Yeah, two 20-siders, yeah. Two 20-siders. And um, my thing is, what is it? Is it the same chance if you use percentile dice, or is it different then? Would you have any idea? Is for what? I'm sorry. Well, if you use percentile dice, are, are you gonna if you if you roll a fifty on there, will you have the same chance of rolling a fifty percent on two twenty siders though, or do you have more oh, combinations? I see what you're saying. I don't know. I don't know honestly. I've never I'm compared a, the yeah. two d twenty percentiles to the two d tens. Yeah, because now the twenty siders I'm referring to, if people don't know that, this is not a d twenty that has one one through twenty on it, like seventeen, eighteen, nine, twenty. It has one to zero, tw- uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero twice on each twenty sider. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I've seen. I have two dice on my top yeah. secret game. Yeah, I, and I have think a the ones weeks. that were like uh, eleven through twenty would have like a little plus sign or something like that next to them. Yes. I remember those like that. I, right. So I was just wondering how that would also affect the, instead of using the percentile dice, the one through zero, the regular percentile dice we use, the 10 siders. Yeah. How, how that worked with the two 20 siders. You know, I was just wondering since you brought that's very interesting on that bell curve thing. That That's actually really interesting to me. Mm. I don't think well, the, the number, applies. I think it'll, it? it would be the same. Because really, all you're doing is doubling the chances of any, of all the numbers to show up on any one die. Oh, that does make sense. So, yeah, so it, it does even out. Yeah, it should even out. Now you'll get people saying, well, a D10 rolls differently than a D20. And then you have the variance of that, just like people <laughs> are, just like people will argue that a there's D10s that the numbers, like one side will be... Uh, zero, one, two, three, four, and the other side will be five, six, seven, eight, nine. Like if you were to look at it like a top. Oh, oh yeah. I see and people will argue, well, you have a spin down die. You shouldn't be using that. You need to roll mm. this other one where it has the numbers are more randomly placed. And because people argue those roll differently. Wow, really? That's yes. I have played with a airplane engineer who actually brought up the 
that the fact I was using a spin down die. So I'm Did sure... you like punch him in the face and said I don't care? Yeah. Uh, one of his friends was sitting at the table who was a uh, black belt in karate, so probably wouldn't been a wise idea. Yeah, I don't think mm. so. No, but I'm sure there's some minuscule difference. But over the course of a one game session, you're not really going to notice. All th- then again, you could use this for my how every time we talk about random number generations on the forums, I bring up the fact computers yeah, cannot are, generate yeah, random those, numbers. Those are the kind of people who just like argue over the <clears throat> minutia, and you just want to take your DMG and smack them on the head with it. Yes, and I, I'll admit doing that when it comes to computer random generation number generation because computers don't generate random numbers. No, they don't. <laughs> well, think about what you were just saying, Will, about the D twenty D percentile and the D ten. Right. I would think there'd be a pretty different, big, a big difference in the, the standard number that would would pop out. Because instead of rolling, you rolling your D ten, you have a one in ten chance of one of the sides coming up. Now you have. What is it? A one in twenty chance of a certain side coming up. Well, no, you have a two in ten. Two in ten. That's it. Two in two in twenty, which comes down to one in ten. Well, I'll see the same thing. Then. Yeah. Right. No, no, it's interesting. I was just wondering because you brought it up, and actually, that three D six thing. Actually, I like the way that sounds. I actually like the way that works because I think you have a better chance of making your saving throws with that. You, you do. You do, unless the DM stacks the dice on you. Yeah, see, that's the problem. Okay, no, no, that's good. I'm glad you well, brought that up. Though. It shows... I have a question. Do you use the same chart for for saving throws with when you use the 3D6 method? As far as saving throws go, I leave those alone. You're using the D20 saves oh, as okay. normal. But if I want to show a little more emphasis on something, I'll switch it over to the, stat, the uh, attributes. Like if they want to jump across a pit. Oh, I see. What you're or saying. if there's a spell oh. casted that's involving the mind, I'll do that. So you're or, talking like a skill check kind of thing, almost. It's in a not way, really so. a skill check. It is considered a save. Okay. Yes, I, that is a save. I agree with that. That's a very good point. Though. I like that. It, it just puts more emphasis on the save, and it's also a way to shield the players because everyone seems to know everything these days, you know, from first edition. So. Mm. No, no, I actually like that because, like I said, if a if a if a if a red dragon breathes its fire attack on you, you tell them to roll three d six, and then hey, if they make it, they take half damage. If they fail, well, they're well crispy. I, at that point, if it's a red dragon breathing on them, I would just say you know, save versus breath weapon. Right, but you're it, talking like uh, jumping across uh, uh, like a str- uh, like a okay, like a yeah. bass or something like that. Yeah, or you're walking down a hallway, you trip you you trip a trip wire. Roll versus, uh, I don't know, strength to see if this happens or that happens. Or Yeah. Okay, yeah. and you make a 3d6 roll. Oh, okay. And, and if the heart of the roll is you stack the dice on, on the player. Obviously, if a player has an 18 and a stat, he'll have a no problem. Mm-hmm. But, unless there's cool. some sort of modifier to it. Yeah, unless the DM says 5d6. I've gone as high as 66. Oh, okay, so you just stack the dice. Yeah, the okay. DM. Oh, I yeah. see what you're doing. See, I thought you was just... Still do the 3d6 as the base, and then let's say they had an 18 dex, they would have a plus four. No, 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 no. I just I keep stacking the dice. No, that's cool. I'm cool with that. Yeah. Did you say crevasse? Crevasse? What? Yeah. That was a you. That was that was Nick. Nick. Nick, you said crevasse. Yeah, mm-hmm. I said crevasse. I thought that was crevice. It is crevice. It, Okay. I would say either one. I was making sure. Harass is a is a is a uh, proper term. (laughs) It's more it's it's more British. That's all. Oh my lord, that was hilarious! I said like what? 
Look it up in Wikipedia. It's a proper word. So there, because Wikipedia never lies. Oh, oh boy! Think... Welcome to the kindergarten podcast. Doctor Duck Goose. I mean, it's not the best method in the world, but it does take the emphasis off of what the player thinks is going on. Okay, that's, that's, that's kind of cool. I yeah. want to try that out. It's just something alternate to use just to confuse the players because I can't stand when everybody knows everything is happening. Right. It's almost yeah. sounds like how D6 Star Wars was. Yeah. I think I might have gotten it off there because that was one of the first games I started playing. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you can't beat that. That was the, one of the, that was the best Star Wars game ever. <laughs> yep. I know it was a great game. <sighs> anyway, so well, I'll go throw it out to you guys. Try using it. Let me see what you say. Or if I say it at gmail.com, we'll head into creature feature. That is not I welcome the unwary to the creature feature theater. Alright, uh, creature feature here this week, and we're going to be going to the uh, Monster Manual 2. And I thought there was a pretty cool creature to talk about here. So I, it's one of the little known uh, types of elementals. And I believe it's pronounced Jan, J-A-N-N. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, too. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, and now, the Jan are kind of interesting uh, because they are a combination of, like, all four different elements. They're the, I guess you would call the weakest forms of genies. And uh, they spend most of their time on the prime material plane. Uh, sometimes they wear chainmail armor. They get, uh, like, to use scimitars, composite bows. Uh, sometimes they get strength bonuses, depending on, uh, you know, male or female gets strength bonuses. They have different, very interesting abilities that they can use one at a time, once per melee round. Uh, growth or reduction twice each per day. Mm-hmm. Invisibility three times per day, create food and water as a seventh level cleric, ethereal near etherealness once per day for a maximum of one hour. And uh they can dwell in air, earth, fire, or water environments for up to forty eight hours. That includes the elemental planes and uh they're um I I this just going through the uh Different stuff about the Janny. They, uh, or they're, I guess they're called the Janny or Jan. The, I guess the plural is Janny or Janny, however you want to pronounce it. But uh, they're very suspicious of humans. They do not like demi humans and detest humanoids. So you can definitely use that to your advantage as a DM. I think it'd be really cool to put them like on a uh, outskirts of a near a desert or some sort of like a wasteland maybe they're having to deal with like goblins or orcs because they their alignment is neutral good so it doesn't mean you can't uh, run into these and maybe form an alliance with them uh they do accept the jinn but shun the deos ifrit and mayrids which i thought was kind of interesting that's they, weird yeah it is kind of weird so they're okay with regular jinn but the Ifrit, Mirids, and Deos, they don't like to hang out with them. Um, they like to dwell in forlorn desert areas, hidden oases, where they have privacy and safety. Um, their society is pretty open. 
for males and females are treated equally. Um, beyond that, though, uh, they have some other abilities depending on their intelligence. Uh, the, the viziers have an intelligence of genius to super genius, and they have augury, detect magic, and divination. They could do three times per day at 12th level. They could speak common and also the languages of genie kind. And the, the Jan are also have the ability to speak with animals. So I just thought this was an interesting monster creature type humanoid because uh, I don't think I've ever seen this one used before. I looked through a couple of modules where I thought... They might have been. I thought they were in the Desert or Desolation series, you know. No. And they're not in there. And I nope. thought that they might have been in, uh, it was Lost Caverns of Zoicanth, but it wasn't those. It was the Deo that were in there, or whatever. I think it was the Deo that were in there with that little monster supplement. And there was a, there was a particular encounter with some sort of, like, genie-type creatures. But I don't think I've ever seen them in a published adventure. Now, and I'll just kind of put this out to you guys. What, where would you use this type, this type of uh, race in in a campaign? Where would they kind of fall? Like, like for you, Will, how would you maybe want to use them? Well, wow. Now, I'll tell you what I like about Jans. One is because they're extremely versatile and they can be found in all four elements. I think that's just awesome. Now. So, I mean, when I, th- when I think about them, uh, I mean, they detest human, uh, humans. I'm sorry, humanoids. They detest humanoids, so that makes it kind of difficult to use them and everything because I like to have uh, different types of races as, as player characters and everything. But uh, Yeah, they're okay with I mean, humans, but humanoids they're not too fond of. So. Right. Well, I, I'm certain that, uh, well, you know – Stereotypically, by looking at them, the way they sound, and the weapon he's wielding, especially the Monster Man 2, you would automatically assume, and I said I automatically assume, that they would be in a desert environment. Mm-hmm. And, and considering that they are of the genie race, subtype, or what have you, and everything, uh, they're just, I mean, you figure, that's where you'd be finding them at. However, I do like them to use them in conjunction with mermaids and nerids and other form of water life because I like those particular type of adventures as well. Hmm, that would be interesting too. Yeah. You know, you know, you know where you're going to run into Jans that bottled city uh, adventure. Yeah, that's that, right. No, I that's do have that. Yeah, I do Jans have a copy of Bottled City, and that would be a good place for them. But see, but me in, in this case right here, I don't recall any. D&D modules at this time right now that actually had a Jan in there. It was always the Djinn or the Afrit. Right. Mm. right. Yeah. You I said, thought they were in Desert Desolation, but I looked through all three modules and they're not in there. You said they were able to exist on all the planes? Yeah, um, they, they can, yeah, they can be uh, on the, they spend most of their time on the prime material. Right. But they can be on the four elemental planes as well. You, you know what I was for, thinking? To use them as guardians of the gates to the planes. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Since they can exist on, on multiple planes at once or whatever, maybe they're the ones that guard the gates, or they're not not exactly standing there as a sentient guard, but they're in the area protecting the uh, the portal or something. And then, then they would probably be like the elite of their particular race, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, they would have like some pretty kick-butt scimitars and nice chain mail, and they have some other special abilities. Like, they're the cream of the crop. The rise to the top? Oh, sorry. 
<laughs> and I also think I found a typo as well in this <laughs> because it says Jenny leaders have a genius intelligence, higher hit dice up to 84 for sheiks and 95 for emirs. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a that's a typo. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think they have 84 hit dice. I think, I think it might have been eight plus four. That's what I was thinking. Five. Yeah, that makes sense. But I, when I was first reading, I'm like, 84 hit dice? Wow, that's more than a Tarask. Yeah. Okay, why aren't these gods? Yeah. You know, I was thinking, as he was talking about the modules and everything, let's see, the Monster Manual 2 was printed in 1983. Mm-hmm. So that would, I can't remember when the Pharaoh series came out, so that probably explains why Jans weren't in there. Yeah, the first appearance of the Jans was in uh, Dragon 66 in the pre- one of the previews for the Monster Manual 2. Ah, okay. uh, see, that's why you won't find them in any of the old edition modules, perhaps. And that's why I thought they were in Lost Caverns of Zoicanth, because it had that huge... Uh, uh, ha- half the darn book was like a supplement that was like the Monster Manual Two preview, you know, right. uh, that that insert. And I thought they were in them in the adventure, but they're not. So, yeah, see, that's like when the when the Fiend Folio was released, and and this is Vince. Vince knows that that entire UK series of modules. Yeah, almost every monster out of there came from the Fiend Folio. Yeah. That's just that's interesting. I'm just I'm shocked that I just cannot recall any jams being in any modules except till later on. So I guess they're rarely used. Well, mm-hmm. they have to have been used in one. You know what? I bet you they're in Dungeon Magazine. Yeah, probably. Might be. Yeah. But uh, you know what? I keep forgetting. Of course, our favorite setting, or one of our favorite settings, or one of mine, Aquadine. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They're definitely in there. So yeah, it just happens that the monster came out pretty late. Well, I, I guess it would be late 1983, 84. Yeah. Well, Monster Manual 3, 2 came out in uh, 1983. So, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, wow. Yeah. And it, uh, the Dragon 66 was in uh, October of 82. That's just interesting. Yeah. It's just for whatever reason, no one decided to use this character. Hmm. Would have made a great, and you know, neutral good. That is kind of weird, though, for a neutral good monster to say, I do not like humanoids. Or uh, the other race, the humanoids, not humanoids, the, uh, what you call it, demi-humans. demi-humans. They do not like demi-humans and detest humanoids. And I, I kind of take that as, like, you know what, they don't necessarily like, you know, demi-humans, but I guess, worst case, if they had a common foe, they would probably work with them, like, Say for example, maybe there was a maybe a small outpost of Jan, and maybe there was some I don't know. Maybe there was a some like a like some elves nearby. Right. They had there was a some like a like a goblin uh, horde was coming their way. I would assume they would probably both try to you know team up and destroy the goblin horde. Right so, now, where do Merids? Merids live more on the water plane, don't they? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's just that's funny that they avoid them. But you know, then again, you look at their alignment; it's neutral, and it has that quotation marks the good with the quotation marks around. I'm not a quotation; I mean the parentheses around it. So they're typically neutral with good tendencies. Okay. Yeah, so that means they're not actually neutral good. They're actually neutral, but they they tend to be more good on that side of neutral. So I just wonder why they hate demi-humans. I just I can't understand the logic. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know either. Maybe. Oh, you know what? It's because they do look human. 
And mm-hmm. humanoids tend do not definitely look human. No, the, the humanoid races, you're talking like goblins, orcs, gnolls, things of that nature. Yeah, so that's just weird. That they, I mean, I, I can understand they detest them because they're ugly and nasty looking, but not demi-humans. Right, oh, yeah. I guess they treat them as a lesser race, perhaps. Well, who's the, who's the designer behind that creature? Oh, well... We'll find out in just a second. I gotta find it. I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll, drop an, I'll drop an email into the person and see what they have to say about it if there's a way to contact them. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Because every time we have. That form. Usually, uh, every time we have a question like that, I usually drop an email to them and usually I'll get a response back from someone saying, oh my god, I haven't talked about yeah. that in 30 years, but. <sighs> if it was, unless it was Gary, then there's like, well, there's no way to get oh, hold of him. <laughs> yeah, obviously, but, you know. So, all right. Anywho, well, yeah. while Will's looking that up, uh, so interesting creature. Use it how you want to use it. There, there you go. Matt, how would you use these guys? We we hear from Matt. Yeah. Put them really on toast. What? Jan, Jan, Jan and toast. That would be some- <laughs> Jan and toast. <laughs> you had to blurt that one out, huh? Yeah. Really, I I see them having just like a whole kingdom of them, and it kind of isolated and. Maybe for whatever reason, they need to have a Jan take them to one of the other planes. And uh, the kingdom being like, well, we'll help you save the world, but we kind of want you to do some stuff for us as well. It's like I, I can see them helping out the players, but needing, wanting a little bit of their, them to help the players to help them as well. Uh, but, yeah, I see them using them in like an Alcademish type setting. But just having a whole kingdom of them and having the different uh, sheiks and leaders with their eight plus uh, four hit die, not mm-hmm. 84 hit dice. <laughs> Albeit it maybe have one giant super Jan with 84 hit dice just for my own amusement. <laughs> <laughs> the super powered one. <laughs> yes. Yes, the Jan that went, can actually exist in all f- Five planes of existence, well, all four elemental and the prime at the same time. The Captain Planet of Oh, Jans. he did it. Uh, yes, no, I went there. So what did he say in that Aladdin when he got suckered into becoming a genie? I actually never seen that movie. Never seen it. You never seen Aladdin? The man's cosmic tower powers, what, an itty-bitty little space? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> by, these pl- by these powers combined. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Powers activate. Do you find a name for that person, uh, Will? Say again. Do you find a name? Still looking underneath that. It's very difficult to find this. It's it's very interesting on the history of the Jan, but they don't cover too much of it. Beside the fact they first appeared in Dragon Number Sixty Six, and then it was an ongoing series of articles. Gary Gygax covered that, and then they came out in the Monster Manual too. They were probably made by Gary Gygax, then. Oh, okay. Probably were, because I have nothing else on them. I'm I'm looking at the publication history. We must conduct a seance, then. Okay. I'll stop it. Anyway, (laughs) we'll just leave it up. Gary made it, and Gary had his reasons. We'll just not know at this point in time. So let's head into our last segment of the Night of the Dragon's Word. As the secret portal yields to your efforts... Stand amazed at a vision from the most fevered dreams of avarice. Before you lies the Dragon's Horde. And now we're in the Dragon's Horde, and we're going to be talking about 
Weapons with ego. We've in the past have mentioned weapons with intelligence and all the chaos those can cause. But the ego of weapons with ego is an extension of an intelligent weapon. The ego is basically the power of a weapon to actually influence the actions of the holder. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> On page 167 of the DMG, it starts talking about how to figure out the ego of a weapon. For each plus of it, it gets a plus one ego point. And if it has, for each primary ability, it gets another one. And it just goes down. For each language spoken, it gets a half point. And then, so once you've. So once you figure out the ego of your sword, then you have to figure out the ego of the player character holding the sword. And that's just intelligence plus charisma plus level of experience. Mm-hmm. And that gives you the ego of the character, and now they do battle to see who w- wins. Whenever there's a conflict, because also the sword will have uh, alignment as well. So when you have... If it's a neutral good sword with a neutral good fighter swinging it, there may not be that much fighting. But if it's a chaotic evil sword, then the DM can have some fun. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, come on. Don't you want to hit that guy one more time? Slice him good. Well, if the uh, ego ends up dominating the uh, player's ego, then actually the player will be swinging at their party members or whatever else the sword wants. Because it actually ends up taking over. Whenever there's a personality conflict, it may ask for like the removal of associates, henchmen, hirelings, or alignments that the uh, sword finds distasteful. Or, distasteful. or, or it could, the sword could be like, you don't need no other, any other magic weapons. I'm the only one you need. My precious. Yes. It actually very much is like the uh, one ring in that regards. Um... Then it also they also don't get along with other swords with ego. No, no. If there's another sword around, they're going to try to get their player character to uh, actually destroy the other sword. So if you want some real fun, you throw two of these swords into the party, and then just watch the swords fight amongst themselves. This reminds me of if any of you guys read uh, KODT. A long time ago, nights at a dinner table. Yeah, they kind of did. Uh, 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 Jolly did a uh, Jolly Blackbird did a uh, cartoon of something like this. They had a new player who wanted he wanted a big you know big honking sword. Yeah. Well, they they said they had a sword for him. His name was Carvin Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> and Carvin Marvin has a huge ego for his sword. They described him as like Don Rickles with a migraine. And so, if you haven't read the the comic strip for it, it is hilarious. I I could not do it justice describing what happens in this thing. But suffice to say, you could find in the one of the, at the original comic book of KODT, or if you could find the uh, bundles of trouble, which is the uh, uh, collection of different uh, cartoons from the uh, KODT uh, strips in the in the comic. It's great how Carvin Marvin takes over the player character and just starts hacking away at everybody. <laughs> it's just, it's really good stuff. 
want to get good inspiration with a a, a a weapon that has a tremendous ego that takes over the character and literally takes over the body of the character, mm-hmm. you can see what happens. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, rough. Yeah. Yeah. So swords with the ego, they, I mean, they want to be in charge. That's why they have an ego. That's why they're intelligent. They have an ego. They want to be the ones controlling the player, not being used as a tool. <laughs> so this is a way, if you wanted cool. to give your players, say, a powerful weapon, but didn't want it to, to uh, overbalance the game too much, make it intelligent and slap it with a decent ego. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, they'll be wondering, maybe we should get rid of this plus three sort of doom. Right. <laughs> and, and one of the things I do, and I think it, I don't think they did it in the original DMG, but they always use the, the chart with uh, just swords, but it doesn't mean you can't use it with other weapons. Right. Or yeah. other items. Yeah, you could do that too. Yeah. I mean, artifacts can have egos and intelligence. I mean, you can, you can apply that, I call it a template, but you can apply that, that intelligent weapon template to almost anything. Mm-hmm. Right. I, like, I like using it for other intelligent weapons like maces and battle axes. And stuff oh, yeah. Like that. <laughs> well, that, there's nothing wrong with that because, I mean, when you look at the swords, like, I mean, the weapons in a White Plume Mountain. You know, the, the yep. wave, the whelm, and black, black razor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about all day about those nasty Well, weapons. there was the one sword out of Hidden Shrine of Tomoachan. It's the oh, it's wow. the wooden sword with the obsidian blade. That's it's right. Plus, it's plus six against gas spores. So it has an ego, yeah. has intelligence of one, and it, the, the one guy who played in my group who got that sword, he named it Duh. <laughs> that was its name. Never got rid of it because he had an obsession for collecting all the different swords. So this is like one of his ones. Oh, when am I ever going to use duh? I mean, <laughs> you didn't give it up, man. It's still in your pack. Yeah, but then it has an ego of 5,000 when it runs in, when you run into a gas spore. Well, <laughs> ego of six. But I mean, it's not like, but intelligence of one. I mean, like, that's why they named it duh. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Cool. All right. Anybody have anything else? Yes, I do. I did a little bit more research for you, my friend, considered the Jan, and it's very impressive. As I look into the Tome of Horrors that was created, it's, a, it's the Pathfinder-compatible book, and when I look into genies, only three genies are covered. That is the, well, they call it covers the Merit. The other two are not in the first or second edition Monster Manual. So what that tells me is that these things were probably a creation of Gary Gygax, and they just never went that far. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Cool. All right. So I guess that's going to put a wrap on the show this week. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to say um, the Western monk is the right monk. Anyway, no kidding. No, you know, it's the it's the new argument. It's all semantics. It's the new argument now. Instead of clerks with blunt weapons, it's the Western monk is the right monk. Uh uh Maybe we should make a poll of this. There you go. There's our good uh, new ten foot poll. There you go. Go on. What is the right interpretation of the first edition ADD monk out of the player's handbook, which is obviously an Eastern interpretation? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
Just saying. That's awesome. Friar Tuck doing Quivering Palm just does not work for me. All right. Tell us what you think. Write in. Call us. Keep it original. Keep it old school. And uh, I don't know. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Night, everyone. Good night. Take care. Roll for initiative.